We'll be in Revelation chapter 18 this morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there so that you can follow along. One of the most encouraging and convicting themes that our life group has discussed this spring has been the courage and conviction of Daniel and his friends. Daniel, of course, is uh, from the tribe of Judah, and God has brought judgment upon Judah for their idolatry. And Daniel and some of his friends find themselves living as captives in a foreign land, in the land of Babylon, who in fact were the very nation who brought God's judgment upon his people. Imagine being a teenager forcibly removed from your home to live with the people who have just plundered and pillaged your home. How easy it would be in that environment to compromise, to blend in, fearfully obey this idol-worshiping society. But Daniel remained true to Yahweh, Israel's God. And he was thrown into a den of lions because he remained true. And yet, we know God saved him. What kept Daniel faithful and uncompromising in his walk with his God? Well, we can answer in, in this way. We can say that Daniel's heart was never in Babylon. His heart longed for home. Multiple times a day, we see in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, that, that he would go up into his private room and he would open this window toward the east, toward Jerusalem, and he would pray to his God with his eyes set on his homeland that was so seemingly far and distant. He hungered for home. So when Babylon the Great made demands of Daniel and said, do this, worship this king, worship this image, Babylon had no influence on Daniel because his heart was somewhere else. Well, we've come to Revelation 18 today, and we see that Babylon is still alive and well. Not literally, of course, that nation that Daniel lived in is, is been long gone, but, but Babylon, as Mike told us last week from Revelation 17, is representative of, of the, the world's powers and, and all of those who rally themselves together in opposition to God. That Babylon is still alive and well and remains a very constant and unwavering threat to us. The self-exalting, sin-sick, hell-bound city of God-haters supported and led by dra the dragon, Satan himself and his cronies. This Babylon is alive and well. And we as God's people, this current threat of this great city, we're under constant attack because we're not yet home. Revelation 18 is in our Bibles, friends, to help us endure and overcome until the end when we arrive at home forever. So today we're going to proceed by just beholding the chapter. We're going to take a look at this vision that John saw. 
and listen to the voices that John heard, and then we're going to try and apply it. So behold and apply. So first we need to take a look at this chapter and behold what John sees and hears. And we're going to work from the outside in. We're going to start in verses 1 to 3 and 21 to 24, and then we're going to move to verse 4 and verse 20, and then we're going to kind of look at the middle, the the core of this passage in verses 9 to verse 19. And it's intentional that we're going to do it this way. So first, the outsides, we see in verses 1 to 3 that there's an angel. And then in verses 21 to 24, there's another angel. And both of these angels are announcing judgment upon Babylon. Essentially, we could say that they're announcing the just deserts. Babylon is getting what she deserves, these angels both declare in authoritative, mighty voices from heaven. The first angel in in verse 1, we see how this angel is described as coming down out of heaven, great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. The only thing that this could mean is that this angel has been in the presence of God and is radiating the glory of God. Great authority because God has sent this angel to declare judgment upon Babylon. And similarly, the, the angel at the end of the chapter is described as a mighty angel. So mighty that this angel takes this ginormous stone weighing thousands of pounds and just hurls it into the sea. Making this huge, devastating splash. And then they both make the announcement. We see it in verse 2. First angel with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Second angel says very similar things. So shall Babylon be thrown down in violence. After making these announcements of judgment, then we can see that there's a a contrast. First angel says what will be found in Babylon Second angel says what will not be found in Babylon. You see that in verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. The only thing you will find in Babylon is wickedness and unclean things when she is destroyed. But then the angel at the end, we see the exact opposite. Here's what won't be found anymore, and it's all the good things that Babylon enjoyed. Her wealth, her perfumes, her jewels, her marriage ceremonies, and her her sort of festivals, and her big feasts. There won't be any more craftsmen to make her fine throne of a queen, and and so on and so forth. None of that will be found in her anymore. And then both of these angels give us the reason why. Essentially, to kind of paraphrase what they say, Babylon has turned the hearts of all of the nations away from the one true living God. And not just turned the hearts onto her, but turned everyone's hearts onto themselves. We'll see that as we get to the middle of 
our chapter, but that's essentially what the reason why judgment has come. Babylon, you have deceived the nations, you've deceived the kings of the nations, you've deceived the merchants, the businessmen of the nations, and they've all rallied to you. You will be judged accordingly. So that's the outer ring. Now if we move in just a little bit in verse 4 and verse 20, we see that there's two kind of commands. Now a third voice is speaking. Verse 4 it says, John writes, then I heard another voice from heaven. And this voice calls, come out of her, my people. So this is either God speaking directly to his people Maybe Jesus is talking here, or maybe it's an angel just speaking on behalf of God. But either way, this voice from heaven is urgently calling his people out of this city. This same voice, speaking in verse 4, is speaking in verse 20 when we read this. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Now, you might see the, the, the quote there in verse 20 is tied to the quote in verse 19. I don't think we should see the, the, the shipmasters saying this. This, again, is the voice, just like come out of her. This, this, this voice is directly calling to heaven. And all of the saints and apostles and prophets who have already come out of Babylon through death, who are in heaven, they're rejoicing over her destruction. They've suffered from it. They've been the victims from this great city, and they are all called to rejoice, and we'll see next week when Billy Nye preaches the first half of 19, we'll we'll see a fuller picture of why exactly heaven is rejoicing over this destruction. But nonetheless, in verse 20, we see that heaven rejoices over Babylon's fall. Justice has been served The wedding feast has arrived. So that's the rejoice, O heaven. Now looking back more specifically at verses 4 to verses 8, we hear this appeal, this this urgent call to come out of her, my people. Notice why. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. This voice from heaven says, To associate with Babylon is to be judged with Babylon. And then in verse 5, we see why. Her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God, God's remembered them. If you've ever been down to downtown Chicago, and you've stood at the foundation of one of these giant skyscrapers, and you've tried to look up, and imagine where the top of this building is. It's disorienting, right? You start getting a little dizzy because it's just so high up there. In verse 5, we see that Babylon's sins are not just heaped as high as the Willis Tower, all the way to heaven. This is a staggering and disorienting pile of sin. This city is wicked beyond measure, and God knows and remembers what she has done. So in verse 6, he begins issuing this command, pay her back, repay her, 
As she glorified herself, give her a like measure of torment and mourning. The call for, for double should, it's kind of a little bit of a, a translation miss there, I think. It, it should rather be duplicated, like for like. What she did, pay it back. That's what makes sense of everything else surrounding it. Pay her back as she paid others back. So it's kind for kind, lex talionis, right? This retribution principle. God isn't somehow now flying off the handle or kind of ceasing to be just in this judgment. It's right and good. And notice the root issue in verse 7. In her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning. I'll never see that. Babylon is all about Babylon. And always will be about Babylon. Even as I babble on about Babylon, she's still about Babylon. God knows and remembers. And it's why in verse 8 we see, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. She'll be consumed with fire. And as mighty as she may be, as, as, as Many times in this chapter, she's referred to as the great city, the mighty city, this wonderful, high, lifted up thing. The end of verse 8 tells us who's really mighty. Mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. That's why years and years and years of, of acquiring wealth and power and prestige and luxury can be taken away like that. God Almighty has no equal. And when his judgment comes, it comes. Fallen is Babylon. Now we move now into the core of our chapter, verses 9 to 19. And John wants us to see here a trio of lament. A trio of laments. Verses 9 and 10, we see that the kings of the earth who have committed sexual morality and lived in luxury with Babylon... They're crying out in sorrow. Verses 11 to 17, we see the merchants of the earth, and they're crying out in sorrow. They're weeping and mourning over Babylon. And then in verses 18 and 19, we see the sailors and the shipmasters and the oarsmen, all, all of the people who have been sort of doing business on the sea, they're crying out and they're throwing dust on their heads as they mourn over Babylon. Well, there's a common theme, a thread, connecting all three of these segments of society. It's in the phrase, of the earth with the kings, and of the earth with the merchants, verse 9 and verse 11, and then on the sea in verse 18. We already know that Revelation uses the phrase, dwellers on the earth or dwellers of the earth to talk about all those who have opposed God. So too, these are segments of those on the earth who are opposing God, the kings of the earth who oppose God, the merchants of the earth who oppose God, and the sailors on the sea, the very place the beast sent by Satan arises from. These people are aligned against God with Babylon. 
and they are wailing and weeping. They all have the same response to her destruction. Just listen in verse, I'll just read these woes that they pronounce 10, 16, and 19. Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. That's what the kings say. The merchants chime in in verse 16, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth, all of it has been laid waste. And the shipmasters and mariners in verse 19. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. And all three of these groups, they they stand far off. They see the smoke of her torment and they're they're standing far off just, just horrified and fearful of this judgment. Why are they mourning? Why are they, I mean obviously it's an upsetting sight, but why? Why are they mourning the destruction of Babylon? It's because of what they lose. It's self-centered sorrow. We see it most easily in 11 to 17 in the merchants. You can look there with me. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her. And then it's right there. Since no one buys their stuff. The merchants are heartbroken because nobody's buying their stuff. If nobody buys their stuff, they don't have money. They just have useless stuff. And and see, it's impressive stuff. Verse 12 and verse 13. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. These merchants know that if the price is right, they can get anything they want to give to Babylon, even human beings, whether that's to parade them in the arena as as animals devour them for entertainment or whether it's some kind of sex trafficking industry or prostitution ring. If you have the money, the merchants can get it for you. And Babylon had the money. She had more money than anybody on earth. In John's day, it was Rome, and it was said that 10 measures of wealth came to the earth, nine went to Rome, one went to the rest. Rich beyond measure and wanting what they want, self-seeking, self-glorifying, even at the expense of other human beings. Sailors, the merchants, the kings, they're, they're not sad for a friend. They're sad for themselves. Their moneymaker has just been destroyed. And along with it, all of their profits, all of their immorality like the kings, all of their luxurious sitting at table, 
even the oarsmen. If nobody's buying a product, nobody's shipping a product, nobody's hiring a guy to row the boat. From top to bottom, it's all undone because Babylon is judged by God. Friends, we need to see in this, this, this very clear-cut call that all who love and adore the world are self-seeking. Right? You're not seeking the good of the world if you love the world. You're seeking what the world can get you. And, and it's this immoral relationship. It's this, this making friends with the world is turning yourself as an enemy against God. And we know what Jesus says. You can get the entire world. And what does it profit if you forfeit your soul? What does it profit you in the end? But lose your life for my sake, Jesus says, and you will find it. If we love Babylon, we are seeking our own glory, and we become just like her in her pride, in her wickedness, and in that stack of sin that rises to heaven. And God will bring it all crashing down in just one single hour. Did you hear that in all of the three laments? It's repeated by all three, the kings, the merchants, and the sea, sea captains. So fast. Each group, they're, they're, we didn't even get one last meal together. Just comes toppling down in one single hour. Sudden starvation where all they knew was luxury and happiness. Just like that, judgment has come and it's all gone. Oh, friend, beware lest you find yourself mourning the loss of this great city. That's self centered sorrow. These three laments should shake us. And get us to hear the call to come out of her. As the voice of heaven graciously offers to us. So just one final thing to, to point to. And it's at the very end. This, this second angel. The mighty angel that we see in verse 21. I wish we could get more into this. But this is the third time a mighty angel shows up in the book of Revelation. If you want to go check it out later. The first one is 5 verse 2. Second one is 10, verse 1, and then this one in 18, 21. The first mighty angel, we see that it is only the slain and risen lamb who can take the scroll and carry out God's judgments on the earth. Second mighty angel, we see that it is the church faithfully witnessing to Jesus will be slain and suffer as the plan of judgment is carried out. The church prophetic, hated by the world, will be killed by the world, and yet will be raised. Again, it's chapter 11, the two witnesses. Now this third mighty angel is saying, Babylon will be thrown down just like this huge rock falls into the sea. Babylon will be slain, and Babylon will never rise again. Jesus was slain and raised. The church slain, persecuted, raised. Babylon, no more. Behold Revelation 18. 
Fallen is Babylon and all of her lovers because they oppose God, they crucify his Messiah, and they kill his saints. It's a just and right judgment on her. Her kingdom is built on the blood of God's people. Chapter 18 is something to behold. Babylon has fallen from her lofty pride, her luxurious living, and her immorality and bloodshed through God's just judgment. So now to try and apply this. I want to do that two ways. First, by saying it negatively, what this passage teaches us, and then saying it positively. The first, to say it negatively, we are to hate and detest Babylon and the ways of the world. Hate and detest Babylon and the ways of the world. This passage is in our Bible to make us have this growing dislike and this distaste for all the delicacies of the world that are, that are phony, that are sugar pills. It's to, to cause us to sever all of our ties with the one who will come toppling down. To not seek her glory, which is to seek our own glory. Not to be seduced and allured away from God by her delights. They're all fake. They're all phony. And they're all going to be judged. See heaven's rejoicing and know what the end of Babylon is and what that means for God's people. If you're in the room today and you need, a, you need, a, you need help developing a distaste for the world, and the world's ways, study the world's ends. If the world is delicious, look where it's all going. You want no part in this whatsoever. Hear the call to come out of her as the gracious gospel call that it is. Now, of course, this passages in our Bible for God's people, but if, if you're in the room today and you're not a Christian, there's an opportunity today for you for the first time in your life to sever ties with the world, to come out of her and align yourself with Jesus, the one who has shed his blood of his own will to forgive you of sins and to rescue you from this end. Jesus alone can do that. And his call on you today is to come out of her. Stop loving the world. Confess your sins. Turn from them and trust that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's coming back as king and judge. Confess your sins and find life. Come out of Babylon. Maybe some in the room are professing Christians and claiming to follow Jesus, and yet are in love with the world. It's easy to be like this. We can hide it. We can keep it secret. We can, we can kind of have this love affair with the world that, that stays in the dark, that people never have to know about. We can even hide it from those closest to us, our friends and families. And yet, friends, God sees. He sees in the dark. He needs nobody to tell him what you're doing. You need to come out of here. You need to bring this into the light. You need to confess it. 
You need to repent. Come out of Babylon, lest you face the judgment coming upon her. Maybe you're sitting on the fence. Maybe you know God's word is true. You're kind of holding on to worldly things. You're trying to serve two masters, that thing that Jesus says you cannot do. It's all going to fall. It's all going to fall. Do not feast, do not delight in the things that will be brought to nothing. It's useless. Maybe it's to say it this way. Friends, there is no single solitary person, angel, being around the throne in heaven right now saying, I just wish I had more time to love the world. If I could just go back, I would just love the world longer before I gave my life to Jesus. There is not a single person in heaven saying that. They are all saying, hallelujah. Come out of her. Detest Babylon and hate the ways of the world. That's the negative claim of this text. But we would, we would be risking just kind of sounding like a bunch of legalists, some do-gooders, some goody-two-shoes, if that's all we said this text called us to do. There is a positive claim that this text has on our lives as Christians. Be hungry for home. Be hungry for home. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Then I looked, and behold, I saw the new Jerusalem descending out of the clouds from heaven. With the pearly gates and the streets of gold and the mansions prepared for the people of God. The real deal, not some phony, hell-bound substitute. Hunger for home, church. The call to come out in Revelation 18, verse 4, is an invitation to come out and enter a new and better and abiding city. It's not just come out and just don't have anything to do. It's come in. It's everlasting. I've prepared this place for you where you will dwell in peace and prosperity and security forever. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt. No detestable thing in heaven like there is in Babylon. Nothing unclean will ever enter her. Come out and come in, Jesus says. Friends, if you're here and you've, you've come out, and you're longing for home, this passage says, Press on. Don't look back like Lot's wife and kind of become a pillar of salt and, and regret all the things that you kind of gave up. Jesus is infinitely better. Press on. A little while longer. A little farther on the road. And you'll see his face. You'll be home. And it'll all be worth it. Hate Babylon, hunger for home. That's what Revelation 18 calls us to. A couple of corrections. I realize we can hear the word hate, and some of us might think, okay, now I, got, I just got a no more iPhone, no more you know, 
honey roasted Cheerios, whatever it is that we love that this world is, is you know, offers. It, we just got to reject all of it and kind of live this black and white, bland, boring existence. That is not what Revelation 18 is calling us to. Don't run to sell everything you've got and live as a, a pauper on the street corner when you hear hate the world. Don't stop enjoying good gifts that God has provided for you. But always remember to glorify the giver. Correction two. To come out of the world does not mean to stop bearing witness to Jesus in the world. This is not a call to go join a monastery high up in the mountains away from all those sinners who might lead you astray. Friends, God continues to call sinners to come out of Babylon through our faithful witness. In fact, frequently we find when we share our faith that our hunger for home grows because we know we're speaking truth and this isn't where we belong. We can know that these corrections are right and good because revelation has everything to do with our hearts. This is not some legalistic, moral, ethical code. Live this way and you'll be better off. This passage gets us asking questions like these. Where is your treasure? Are you storing up treasure on earth that's going to all be toppled down? Or are you storing up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot steal? Questions like, what do you long for above all else? Money, fame, success, the things that Babylon can maybe, maybe not accomplish for you? Or do you long for the glory of Jesus, the one who will come back and topple this whole thing? Do I serve God or do I serve myself? Do I love God or do I love the world? That is the questions that Revelation 18 forces us to ask of ourselves as we see the end of Babylon and all those who have aligned with her. Hate Babylon, hunger for home. Let me just close by offering three ways to know that you are doing that. That you're hating Babylon and hungering for your home. First way to know, you repent of sin a lot. You repent of the thing that you know has no place in heaven, has no place in your heart, and yet you know it remains. The allure of Babylon is strong, and you say, oh God, I don't want to love the world. Forgive me, I I was loving the world there, I wasn't loving you, I wasn't seeking your glory, I was seeking my own. We should find ourselves daily, frequently repenting of our sin for loving the world. That cultivates and that proves that you have a hunger for home. Second way to know that you're hungering for home, you're content in the world. You're not interested in compromising your love for Jesus for a a promotion at work, 
some other worldly gain. You're, you're satisfied in your lot in life here because you know there and then, in home, no more worry, no more need. You're content here because you know you're not home yet. Things don't throw you off when, when circumstances and situations don't go the way that you want them to. Do you recognize in a fallen, sinful, broken world, it's just part of life. Lawnmowers don't start when you want them to. Cars don't work. It's part of the world. So you're content because you're not home. Every bad outcome shouldn't destroy our mood. Shouldn't rob us of joy because we're not home. Our joy is fixed because our home is forever. The third way you can know that you're hungering for home. The gospel of Jesus is sweet and satisfying. Look, Babylon builds her empire, shedding the blood of saints and prophets, and uses her power and money and influence to build an immoral, illegitimate kingdom. The kingdom of God, it's built on the blood of Jesus Christ who freely gave his life for sinners so that he might graciously call us out of the world to live exclusively for him forever. His is the everlasting kingdom and his dominion is forever and ever, friends. Jesus has secured a home for us. He has a feast waiting and he'll be with us forever. So let's live for him. Amen. Oh God, give us a hunger for home that cannot be satisfied by anything the world offers. Impress this text upon our hearts. Cause us to live for you and you alone. Amen.